I did think it was funny that Dr. Penn Pershing was doing some sort of office archival work as his as his new job. It was like he was a pen persher. If I want something dry, I'll just listen to your jokes, Adam. <laughs> but that's just a little quibble, and I've got a cream for that. How do I get to the tube station? This is the way. This podcast was recorded remotely and contains adult themes and language. Hello and welcome to TV DNA, The Mandalorian, Season 3, Episodes 2 and 3. My name is Adam Hemming and fresh from a bath in the living waters of Mandalore, it's Neil Shepek. Welcome, A47. Are you experiencing any resentment towards your co-workers? Oh, huge amounts of resentment towards my co-workers, but that's another story. We should say that spoilers are coming up for... Chapter 18, The Minds of Mandalore, and Chapter 19, The Convert. So if you haven't seen those episodes of The Mandalorian, pause this podcast, go and watch them, and then come back. You have been warned. So Neil, what did you think of these two episodes? I really enjoyed both of them. Episode 3 was a slight surprise, but I guess we'll get on to that. We, which is the one I literally, like, literally just finished watching. Because there's not a lot of The Mandalorian in it. And I think it focuses on the New Republic and a doctor or scientist. His work on cloning had been abused in the past by the Empire, but he knows that if he clones organs, etc., that it can help people stay alive. He lost his mum, etc. You know, there's good reasons and he wants to do all that. But it seemed to me like that information about more clones and different types of cloning is leading up to the New Order i.e. the films 7, 8 and 9, because obviously they've got a whole load of clones then as well. They're more advanced. And some that aren't clones, like Finn, etc. That's my thought. Initially, I thought this would be a a small thing, but I actually think they're going to feed a lot of that into it. Star Wars as a universe via Disney are very good at filling in gaps, or at least they seem to be really keen to fill in gaps at the moment. Anyway, that's slightly jumping ahead because a whole lot of stuff happens in episode 2 as well. What were your thoughts, Adam? Yeah, just picking up on what you were saying, I thought it was really interesting in episode three to see what it was like for those Imperial officers post the Battle of Yavin. I thought that was really, really interesting. I enjoyed that a lot. Thoroughly enjoyed both episodes. Let's tuck into the minds of Mandalore, shall we? Spelunking. Is that what they call Mm, it? That's how I've written it down, yep. (laughs) We opened this one in, in Tatooine. And, you know, after Andor, it feels like we haven't been in Tatooine for quite some time. So it was nice to go back. Yeah. A lovely little scene with Peli Motto. Always great to have her back in the show. And she's got this scam. She's scamming this Rodian Greedo type creature <laughs> with these vehicle parts, right? It's a scam that she's got going with, with the Jawas, where the Jawas steal some of the parts and then she charges him to replace them all. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's great seeing Peli back. Also great seeing... Pelly selling him a droid. We've got R5-D4 now, which I'm sure it will take a while for me to commit to my brain because obviously it's so close to R2-D2. But yeah, R5-D4 plays a part in both of these episodes. And this is the droid that Luke didn't take, right? It's the same droid. It's got the sort of leaking marks on it on the yep. uh, top from where it, it malfunctioned previously. Uh, I thought it was interesting. Grogu's kind of making more noises now. Grogu and, and the Mandalorian appear and he somersaults out of the ship. But yeah, I, I thought this was really good for new versions of the toys. Much more <laughs> poetic to have Grogu making cute noises. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. I also loved seeing the Dark Saber again because th- that wasn't there in episode one. So it was really great to see it back. He still doesn't feel like he owns it because he, he can't use it properly. But it's great to see that come back. Yeah, he tries to use it when he's taking on these. I, I initially called them cave trolls, but I think Bo-Katan mm. does tell us what their names are later on in the episode. Alamites is what they're called. He's still not able to wield it particularly well, but then Bo-Katan uses it later in the episode to good effect and shows how lethal a weapon it can be. And it was Grogu that eventually used the Force to defeat the creatures. It was funny, wasn't it? Mando gets trapped in this machine's claws and he's trying to free him and it feels like he's struggling a bit to use the Force. But then later on, he he uses it quite well to dispatch one of these cave trolls. I mean, it was a very, very cool moment when the troll comes Mm. flying out of the cave and Grogu's follows after it. It was really cool. There was a few little comedy attempts that... I mean, it was all very sweet, but the the when Pelimoto's translating the, the, to the Jawas, there's there's no Jawa ease for memory circuit. That <laughs> 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 was quite funny. And then she says, "No chance cubes" instead of "no dice," which yeah. was a little bit less funny. It was interesting. We, we I, I didn't expect us to get to Mandalore so quickly in this in this season. I thought there were going to be a few more obstacles along the way. He gets the R5D4 droid to test the air for poison. And yeah, and, and seems quite happy. They don't test the air sort of further down. They go quite a long way down into the mines of Mandalore. And I was like, how does he know the air's good down here? <laughs> we don't see R5D4 going on as a, a head scout. But there, there must have been elements of that. We just didn't see them where they were checking with R5D4 as to whether the air was poisonous or not. And then continued but yeah, a bit of a risk. Bo agrees to take Mando there. The, him bathing in the waters was quite interesting because he came across a creature in those waters. But then when Bo saves him and brings him back up, she asks him, did you see anything? Uh, this might be the beginning of three, actually. Um, but she asks him, did you see anything down there, anything living? And he said no. And then she didn't say anything and looked in a very cinematic way at the waters suggesting that she knows that there's something down there so at the end of end of episode two he falls doesn't he? he's going walking in i mean i did wonder why he didn't take his armor off obviously you can take his helmet off he sort of falls down this chasm she explains the waters weren't that deep previously and that bombings from the purge have caused seismic activity so yeah as that has deepened the living waters so he falls all the way down there doesn't see anything she dives down and a brilliant moment at the end of episode three where she sees this eye of a large creature which episode I, two. yeah sorry episode two which i i presume is a mythosaur right that's what i would guess because that that's that we mentioned these are legendary creatures it's the mandalorian sigil isn't it is the the head of the mythosaur from what i was able to tell that was the start of the Mandalorians was defeating this creature. So it seems like these bombs have disturbed, opened up another cave underground or whatever, and this second mythosaur has taken up a dwelling there. But yeah, I did think it was interesting that she didn't say anything to Mando. But all of this makes me wonder whether she's becoming a believer again. Do you know what I mean? Because she's very much been against the creed. And again, at the end of episode three, she's told by the armorer that she's one of them now because she hasn't removed her helmet helmet since she's been in the living waters she's very much welcomed into the group isn't she yeah um, and she says i don't follow the way and the armor says well as long as you keep your helmet on 
then you are part of us and, and you're welcome here. And I was really expecting for her to take her helmet off and make some act of defiance or some speech, whatever. But it's interesting that she didn't do that. Well, she's all on her own, isn't she? And we get a TIE fighter battle at the beginning of episode three. And at the end of that, these TIE bombers arrive and destroy her castle. So yeah. not only is she on her own, but she's now got no home. She needs yeah. a new hope. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when the TIE fighters were following them in that battle near the beginning, well, battle the chase, I guess, at the beginning of episode three, it really reminded me of the visual effects of A New Hope the first Star Wars film, the, the TIE fights themselves, but also the stars, the way that it was all shown. It really, for me, went back to, yeah, A New Hope. Even down to Mando saying, Bo, we've got company. Another line, I'm pretty sure that was Han Solo. I really loved that. Yeah, there was a nice shooting at one point, which again made me, I mean, it was quite sort of Western as mm. well as as that sort of classic Star Wars banter. They speculate about where these TIE fighters have come from, because obviously there is no empire, but there are these imperial warlords and remnants. Obviously, Moff Gideon was in charge of an imperial remnant. But I wonder whether you had any thoughts on where they came from. Do you think this is a Grogu thing? Do you think this is linked to the Doctor thing? I don't think we were given very many clues, so... No, not really, because they're obviously not New Republic, so it does suggest, and there's lots of hints in this episode that Moff Gideon is still out there. He either escaped on his way to his tribunal or whatever, So we know, and obviously we know what happens in the films and the fact that the New Order, that's basically the Empire redone. But I loved Bo's reference to them as mudscuffers. I've not heard that phrase before. I'm sure we will find out in, in due course, but there were a lot of, of TIE fighters. So they said mm. when they had to flee because a load more of TIE fighters emerged that it seemed like it was too many to just be an, an Imperial warlord. Yeah. Curious. Anything else? There was some lovely stuff in the Minds of Mandalore, just actually in both episodes, moments of darkness where there are two of them using torches, which made me think of Mulder and Scully. There was that moment of finding the helmet in the dust, and I wonder whether this was the scene that you had referred to before in the trailers. Yes, it was that shot which had left lots of fans speculating before it came out, because it was in the trailer, that Mando was actually going to die. And that was his helmet that someone found. So probably a little bit of a disappointment that it didn't mean more at that stage. But obviously it's there for a reason. When Mando first discovered that the atmosphere was breathable and that Mandalore wasn't cursed, I was like, has nobody else ever thought to check this? But then this helmet and all of this Mandalorian armour that they discover on their way down suggests that maybe they have in the past and that either they've come foul of these Alamites or of this weird creature that they meet in there, which seemed to be draining the blood from... I wasn't quite sure what, what was going on with all of that. But again, I don't necessarily know that we need to know. It was a, a dark creature using this robot armour almost to or robot creatures to trap these Mandalorians and then drain their blood. It's a trap if we're going to move on to the Coruscant scenes. I love the fact that it was a, oh, what would you call Well, basically the same species as Admiral Akbar. The Doctor says, it was a trap. She set up a trap. I thought that was really funny. Let's talk about that then, the Coruscant stuff. First of all, we get the doc Doctor talking to the New Republic, right? And you mentioned the cloning thing. 
uh, and he talks about the Kaminoans, who were the race that created the clone troopers. Is that right? Yeah. yeah and again, that links to Boba Fett, doesn't it, in a way? So it's yeah. kind of that. We had a couple of links to Boba Fett. Peli Motto asks Mando whether he's here to take down Boba Fett. I was like, no, please don't. <laughs> it's called Dr. Penn Pershing. And they're in amnesty housing. So all of these Imperial officers have been given amnesty and they're being reassigned. And there's a a reintegration centre that they have to come through in order to get onto the rehabilitation programme. But they've all got letters and numbers instead of names, which is a bit sad. Um, Absolutely. And and that's partly why I think it took me longer to get through this episode, because I particularly needed to rewind. So our Dr. Pershing is known as Scientist L-52. And then he meets an officer amongst them called G-68. And I knew I wouldn't remember that. So I had to rewind and make a note. And there are others that he meets as well. But those two are the main protagonists for the rest of this episode. Yeah, there's a nice moment where they're reminiscing. There's a few of the officers there and they're reminiscing about their life in the Empire and and the different things they miss. They generally are of an agreement that the Empire was not good, although initially they thought they were doing good things. And he mentioned these yellow travel biscuits. Yeah. (laughs) If I want something dry, I'll just listen to your jokes, Adam. (laughs) I don't know what we we not I I don't remember coming across yellow travel biscuits previously, but they certainly play a part in this part of the episode. I also thought they're not very diverse, are they? But then I guess the Empire weren't like there's no aliens, there's no different species, but then I guess the Empire there there never was. They were all human or similar. I guess Grand Admiral Thrawn is probably the closest to an alien playing a a large part. I did think about that. Yeah, it's interesting, actually. I hadn't ever considered that before, but you're absolutely right. I can't think of any Imperial officers that haven't been humanoid. But these yellow travel biscuits pop up sort of a couple of times later on. I did think it was funny that Dr. Penn Pershing was doing some sort of office archival work as his as his new job. It was like he was a Penn Persia. Well, I'm just going to say this again. If I want something dry, Adam, I'll just listen to your jokes. Yes, indeed. I don't think I've got many more, so you should be safe. There's a a box of travel biscuits left at his door by somebody. And then we get into Coruscant and we see they've got these glowing ice lollies, the street magicians and juggling droids. We get to see busy Coruscant at street level. And what I thought was really interesting was seeing the, the peak of you mate which is the top of the tallest mountain and the only place on the planet that you can see the surface. I mean, that's like gives you some indication of how built up Coruscant is as a, as a planet. Absolutely. But also what I've realised with you talking about this, we get a foreshadowing of G68 setting him up. So she encourages him to touch it. And then a drone comes along, he spills his glowing lollipop. And he says, you knew that was going to happen, don't you? And she said, hey, and it's all treated like a joke. But it is a foreshadowing of her being a traitor to him. Absolutely. I hadn't thought about that either. What did you think about the mental health droids? (laughs) In a way, they were quite recognisable because uh, my work, we have HR that come around and say... (laughs) ask questions like, you know, you have an interview and it's like, are you finding anything stressful? Is there anything we can help you with? 
do you get on okay with your colleagues all all of that and fortunately i work in a very nice place i don't have any of those problems but it reminded me completely of that it's very bureaucratic it's very typical hr i found it quite recognizable and clearly it was also a device i guess script wise and dramatically for us to understand where the doctor's head was at we see two of these interviews and the first one he seems to give quite genuine answers and then he's told can I just one question can I continue with my research out of hours not during work hours and they say the the HR droid says cloning and genetic engineering are prohibited and he just accepts that and then with the second session with HR you can clearly see that actually he's not happy with how he's being treated by the New Republic. So yeah, a good narrative device, but comic at the same time. Just to touch on those droids, I was a little bit disappointed with them. Just just the look of them. They just felt a bit sort of basic and shiny. They didn't feel like Star Wars droids to me, mm. but that's just a little quibble and I've got a green for that. They seem to be monitoring these well, I guess converts. The title of the episode is the, is the convert, which yeah. also Lokatan. Sorry, loads of tangents here. They seem to be monitoring the former imperial officers quite closely, in certain respects. But when it comes to the imperial technology in the shipyard, no need to guard those because they're all depowered, decommissioned ships. Except, and we only find that this out later. He was lured into going in there, and then he's captured. And we find out that G68 has betrayed him and set him up. So it might be that maybe they are normally, you know, looked after, but they deliberately kept surveillance away so that they could then turn up at the right point for the plan. And we'll get to this at the end, but I've got I've got questions about her plan and how it all came about. The basic setup is that she's persuaded him that his work can continue off the books asks him what he'll need, tells him there are people who will help him. And he says he needs a mobile lab station. So she says we can go and get one of those from one of these decommissioned ships. Because part of his job is logging this imperial technology that's due to be destroyed, but is still in good condition. He scratches his ear a couple of times. Do you remember where that's from? No. So he, in the previous series, I think it's in season two, he's held hostage by someone and Cara June shoots the whoever is holding him hostage but he grazes his ear so that's kind of why he's, he's touching his ear i need to go i really need to go back and watch the first two seasons of the mandalorian <laughs> so much stuff but i did a little research on dr pen pershing and found that little gem so yeah that's where that comes from so this i can't remember the letters or the numbers but we we learn later on her name is elia kane but she persuades the doctor that they can find the stuff they need for the mobile lab from the scrapyard, basically, where all of this stuff has gone. Yeah. Um, G68. So get, G68, thank you. So we get this sequence of them sneaking through the gates by stopping them with their foot to get onto this train. I mean, you couldn't do that on the London Underground. <laughs> I don't know. When I was a young student, unemployed drama student, I regularly tried all sorts of tricks to not pay to use the train or the underground. You fair dodger. Yeah, I admit it. I don't do it now, but I did when I was a kid. But then we get we get this kind of dramatic chase through the tube train as they're being followed by these ticket inspecting robots. 
yeah, I mean, it was almost Indiana Jones-like, which I loved because I'm a huge fan of those films, to the point where they even had to try and jump from one carriage to another. Yeah, I thought it was good fun stuff. But yeah, they get into this decommissioned Imperial destroyer and he's packing up all the stuff that they need. And as they're leaving, well, they hear these noises on the ship. It's not really clear what the noises are. Sounds like there is something in there with them. So they get spooked and they run out. And then they get stopped by cops. And we learn that it was all a big trick that she she tricked him. So she takes the kit that he collected in the box and then walks out of the spotlight and, and leaves him to it. And I was a little bit confused as to why she did all of this. He gets put into this, he calls it a mind flayer, but the other guy calls it a 602 mitigator. And these were machines used to wipe people's memories, but they modified them so that it can just relax people, basically. It's meant to heal them and take away their worries. But she then turns up the power, uh, presumably so that it wipes his mind before she menacingly eats a yellow biscuit. <laughs> Yeah, I read a few things into that. And firstly, I wondered whether by increasing the power, she was actually going to kill him. Also, as I said earlier, I think this knowledge about cloning and genetic experiments is going to be an early stage of the new order, the new version of the empire, and whether she's going to play a big part in that. I also noticed throughout that period in the story there's a lot of wind sounds, a lot of br- what sound like breathing sounds. And it reminds me a lot of Darth Vader and his respiratory <laughs> sounds. Certainly very foreshadowing towards the films that follow on from this part of the time frame. She was previously a communications officer working for Moff Gideon, who, you know, we've already mentioned was referenced earlier on in the episode. So she steals the mobile lab unit stuff and then effectively wipes his memory. And I'm wondering whether it was to protect herself or Moff Gideon or to prevent him from doing experiments. It kind of doesn't feel like it's the latter, but it also doesn't feel like she's necessarily working for the New Republic. It feels like she has another master. Definitely feels like she's working for Moff Gideon. And we know from traders and teasers that Moff Gideon reappears in season three. My feeling is she's working for him, and I do think that there will be a part of the story that will be about building up more clones for the New Order. Cool. Well, I guess we will find out in due course. But the the final part of this third episode, then, is Mando and Bo-Katan arriving at the, the covert, uh, where all the other Mandalorians are. They're greeted by Paz Vizsla, the name of the chap we couldn't, we couldn't remember in the last episode but yeah he reveals that he's got proof that he's bathed in the living waters and it's verified by the armorer yeah and initially pass says you're an imposter but as you say he provides proof Bo says he speaks the truth i also loved the reintroduction of the drums they're a big part of the Mandalorian soundtrack and forging sequence. Yeah, it kind of felt like after an episode that was mostly focused on Coruscant and the Doctor and the the Spy, it was really nice to get back to Din's story. Lovely stuff. And we've already sort of referenced the fact that the Armourer kind of offers Bo-Katan a place 
with them as long as she keeps her hat on. Within the Mandalorian universe, helmets are really important. They're very special. Yes, <laughs> I've got that now. <laughs> Neil, I've got a little treat for you just to finish this off. So for my finish birthday, me off, Adam. For my birthday, I got given a Mandalorian trivia quiz game. And there is literally nobody else in the world that I can play <laughs> this with. <laughs> so I thought we'd do like three questions. And unfortunately, you're going to have to answer all of them. Now, I have no idea when this game came out. It may just be Mandalorian season one. So we may really be testing the memory here. I've looked yeah. at a couple of cards and there are some easier ones, some that I would never have been able to answer. But I'm going to give the little deck a shuffle. So you can pick whether you get a child question or whether you get a Mandalorian question. You get one point for a child question and two points for a Mandalorian question. So I'm guessing a child question are quite easy and a Mandalorian question is more focused on adult fans. That's what I'm assuming as well. Okay. Right. And to warm me up, I'm going to ask for a child question, but I promise I will do at least one Mandalorian slash adult question. Okay. Well, this is a nice, easy one to warm you up then. True or false, Din Djarin is the Mandalorian's real name. <laughs> True. I'll give you the Mandalorian question on the same card. Okay. What, what animal does the child lift displaying its special talents? Is it A, mm. a mudhorn, B, a crate dragon, or C, a sarlacc? It's the first one, so I'm pretty sure it's not a crate dragon or a sarlacc. Correct. Well done. Very, Yay. very good. Okay, do, for your next one, do you want a child question or a Mandalorian question? No, I'll go for a Mandalorian question. I'll go for an adult question. So which character is revealed to own a dark saber in the finale of season one? Do you want the multiple choice options? I, I'm pretty confident I know the answer to this, but give me the multiple choice. Is it A, the client, B, Grief Karga, or C, Moff Gideon? Moff Gideon. That was what I was going to say. Excellent. Do you want one more? Yeah, go on. I'm loving it. Okay. What does the Mandalorian give the child to wear at the end of season one? Is it A, a Mythosaur necklace, B, a Beskar necklace, or C, a Mudhorn necklace? Wow, um, I can definitely say end of season two, well, or part of the book of Fett, um, what he gives him. I'm, I, I have to say Beskar. No, it was a Mythosaur necklace. Oh. I mean, that would have definitely had me stumped as well. I have no memory of that. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't. Well, three out of four isn't bad. No, very good. Very good indeed. As I said, I'm like, I haven't watched that first season of Man The Mandalorian yeah. for a long, long time. But we might do a few more of those as we go on. Oh, I look forward to it. That'll be awesome. Because also, the Mandalorian hasn't been year by year, so it's probably four years, I guess, since um, we first watched season one. Absolutely. Right, well, if you want to let us know what you think of The Mandalorian, you can contact us on the social media, at TVDNAPod on all good platforms, or you can email TVDNAPod at gmail.com. Look out, if you're listening on Spotify, for our Q&As and our polls. You can interact with those and give us your thoughts there as well. Anything you want to finish on, Neil? Firstly, I want to ask you, how do I get to the tube station? This is the way. Thank you, Adam. Thank you for showing me the way to the tube station. <laughs> I'm going to sign out with Adam. For every failure, there's a success like you. Oh, it's lovely. I'm off to get a couple of photon fizzles. So I'll see you next Tongsday. Day. <laughs>